Podcasts. Thank you for listening. My name is Ian Castleberry. I'm a writer, editor, and podcaster. We'd love to hear from you on our Facebook page. If you'd like to say hello or leave a like there, we're at facebook.com slash the podcast. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-S. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and Overcast. You can also listen to us through TuneIn and iHeartRadio. We're not yet on Himalaya, though I've inquired there. I don't know anyone who actually uses Himalaya as their podcast platform, but it's there, and we're not on it. So naturally that bothers me, and I want some acknowledgement. Pay attention to me! If you're interested in hearing more yammering from me this week, my former colleague Kevin McGuire recently became the new host of the Locked On Nittany Lions podcast covering Penn State football. He invited me on the show this week to talk about Michigan football, Coach Jim Harbaugh, and some non-football talk on Joker and Succession. I'm really happy for Kevin in landing that gig. I know he's a big Penn State fan and passionate about college football in general. It was nice of him to bring me on to talk about one of my favorite subjects. I'll link to that podcast in the show notes. And you know what? Lockdown Nittany Lions is on Himalaya. I should have brought that up with Kevin. That makes me a little bit jealous. Okay, this week I had three segments on Y Sports Radio. If you've been listening regularly, I'm on local radio Mondays and Thursdays each week. Monday covers baseball and Thursday is football. And I'm also on every other Wednesday talking baseball. The every other week schedule there is because Wise Guys host Pat Ryan takes every other Wednesday off to rest after medical treatment. He's on vacation this week and I hope he's doing well. So this is a week where I've got two radio spots to share with you and each of them goes about 18 minutes. I'd like to keep each podcast within an hour and I'm presuming you'd prefer that too. So I won't include too much else but I'd like to break up the sports ball content with some pop culture. And I didn't get around to reviewing Gemini Man, the new movie with two Will Smiths. So I'll do that on this episode. Oh, quick pop culture digression. (gasps) I'm a nerd. (gasps) So am I. I love Paul Dano being cast as the Riddler in the upcoming Batman movie. Jonah Hill reportedly passed on that role when Warner Brothers wouldn't meet his price and director Matt Reeves apparently preferred him to play the Penguin, which is the role everyone pegged him for when it was reported he was in talks to join the project. But Hill reportedly preferred the Riddler, which is the meteor role in that script. Who ends up getting cast as Penguin will be a fun storyline to follow, but with Dano as the Riddler, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, and Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon, though I don't think that's been confirmed yet, joining Robert Pattinson's Batman, This new Bat movie is looking very intriguing. If you'd prefer all the sports stuff in one block, let me know at thepodcast at gmail.com or via Twitter at thepodcast. But I feel like mixing it up this time around, so let's begin with my Thursday NFL spot on Y Sports Radio. Jordan Devere filled in for Pat Ryan, who, as I mentioned, is taking a well-earned vacation. And Jordan is getting some well-earned time in the host chair. He does a lot behind the scenes for the station, along with hosting the Mountain Sports Show, which covers all the outdoor stuff I've never done in Asheville, and play-by-play for Asheville High football. 
Speaking of Asheville High, longtime Cougars coach Charlie Metcalf co-hosted with Jordan this week. It was really fun to talk to them. Okay, let's do some football. Week 7 in the NFL. The will the Jacksonville Jaguars trade Jalen Ramsey question was finally answered. But did the Los Angeles Rams give up too much to get him? We also looked at the quarterback situations with the Tennessee Titans and Carolina Panthers. The Green Bay Packers running out of receivers and previewed the Thursday night football matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and Denver Broncos. we got Ian Casperi coming up in just a few moments. We want to remind you that uh, we're streaming now, which if you didn't know, you've got to check us out there. If you're, if you're outside the signal range, you can catch us anywhere in the United States. Thanks to our friends at Mars Hill University. Go online to ysportsradio.com or the TuneIn app. And listen, if my dad can figure it out, and he figured it out, you can figure it out, too. I you promise. can get the tune-in off of uh, Alexa. You know, all you got to do is say, Alexa, play, and there you go. Oh, look at you. You are. Yeah. I can see that smile on your face, Coach. You're pretty savvy in there. And what you, uh, How do you say we uh, talk with Ian Castleberry and see Sounds how savvy great. Ian is? You know, you might, maybe, Ian, do you, uh, do you have an Alexa in your home? I do. Really? I, well, that I doesn't surprise mostly me. mostly use it just to get the weather. Well, that's it? I feel like, yeah, I feel like I use it for like 1% of its total capability. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I play music through it, but it's, uh, I don't have it like, you know, hooked up to my home. It's not like turning on lights or, uh, changing the thermostat or anything like that. Uh, so it's not a smart home. My mom's got one. I use it to play music when I'm home sometimes. I mean, it's, that part's pretty convenient. We got to introduce Ian. He's our Ian Castleberry, NFL contributor today. Your NFL Gold Nuggets feature is presented by DC Creaseman Jewelers. Ian, let's get right into it, man. We talked about this a few times and gotten a few different perspectives. I gave my rant about it and just that I thought that uh, Ramsey's a big talent, but I really thought the Rams were mortgaging a little bit too much. Is this trade good, bad, or ugly for the Jaguars or for the Rams when it comes to Jalen Ramsey? Do both teams improve? I think it's a good trade for the Jaguars. They had to trade Jalen Ramsey. He didn't want to play in Jacksonville anymore. You know, he, we'll see. You know, if his back injury amazingly heals up now that he's in uh, Los Angeles uh, with the Rams. But you know, it was his back injury, leg injury, uh, birth of his his second child, all sorts of reasons that he didn't want to play for Jacksonville, and apparently just didn't like uh, Tom Coughlin. I, I know he had the uh, altercation with Doug Marone on the sidelines, but from what I understand, it's much more a conversation that Ramsey had with Tom Coughlin and just doesn't want to play, uh, doesn't want to work uh, with an old-school personality, apparently, like Tom Coughlin. So he goes to the Rams. Uh, he goes to a team that uh, is still, I don't know if they're a Super Bowl contender, but they are certainly a, a playoff contender. He is going to get a lot of money uh, once uh, he hits free agency. For the Rams, I agree, maybe they uh, mortgaged a, a lot of their future. They don't have a first-round draft pick for the next five years, I believe. And they have big contracts uh, to you know handed out to Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, Aaron Donald, Brandon Cooks. Presumably now they're going to have to pay Jalen Ramsey. Uh, it, it's setting up. Uh, a situation where if the Rams don't win within the next couple of years, uh, their salary cap uh, is going to be a major problem for them. That window's going to slam shut. 
Yeah, one of the things about the Jaguars, they were smart enough to hold out for two number one picks. Uh, a lot of people had offered one, and they turned him down. Uh, in the end, they could get two number one picks that could become starters for them down the road. Uh, do you think they feel pretty good about this, Ian? I think so. I, I'm a bit surprised that the Rams were, were the team that turned out to be willing to give up two first-round picks. I mean, that is a steep price. Plus but, a fourth-rounder uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I thought uh, uh, Ramsey all along was going to go to the Eagles. Uh, to me, they had the greatest need. Their secondary uh, uh, is a major problem for them. Uh, you know, if they want to be a, a Super Bowl contender, uh, the Chiefs, I think, or another team uh, that, that really could have benefited uh, by getting Ramsey. But uh, in the Jaguars' case, uh, two first-round picks, even if they're lower uh, in that first round uh, in 2020 and 2021, Jordan, you mentioned that fourth-rounder they got as well. It's not just the picks. I mean, having those picks allows them to make some moves, maybe move up uh, in the round or, or use those picks uh, to acquire uh, another player. Uh, although I, I, don't, I don't think, I think uh, Jacksonville is in a better position where, you know, with 18 overall selections in the next two NFL drafts uh, to, to build a team rather than sink a, a lot of resources into one player. Absolutely. there. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of the Colts. The, the South matters. The AFC South matters to me. And I didn't like the fact that they got so much for Jalen Ramsey. I'm just hoping they don't get someone nearly as talented as Jalen Ramsey, at least if I can you know, be a little biased. Ian, we're going to switch to your people in Detroit. They've posted some and paid for some billboards to protest another horrible flag that cost the Lions the game this past Monday against the Packers. It is the same anonymous Lions fan group that paid for billboards in the past. I have to ask, did you... Did you not contribute to the billboard fund? And even if you if you can't really answer that, if you could have, would you have? <laughs> no, I think uh, uh, Twitter uh, and Facebook, social media is enough billboard for me. Uh, also, I don't have to spend uh, any money. I think I got enough uh, outrage and profanity uh, out of my system uh, on Monday night and all day Tuesday. Uh, I, I, no, I probably would not. I don't know what the going rate is to contribute for one of these billboards. I probably uh, would not contribute i think uh you know uncle ian's going to talk to alliance fans here i understand you're upset about those calls they're awful calls i'm still upset but got to move on got a game against uh the vikings on sunday still 11 games left in this season you know this this loss to the packers may cost them a playoff spot but they are still in the hunt uh hopefully the the players and coaches are not as obsessed about these blown calls and calls plural, uh, emphasize the plural there, uh, there's an S as there. much as the fans are hung up on it. There's an S there. Yeah, e- <laughs> Ian, definite S. speaking of the Packers, they just signed veteran wide receiver Ryan Grant due to all the injuries they've sustained. The Packers really lack weapon injuries that they've had. Will they make any other big moves to remedy that, or is this all we can expect? Yeah, that, that's a, a good uh, question. It's a dilemma because, yeah, Devontae Adams, uh, Geronimo Allison out, uh, Marquise Valdez-Scantling uh, is a good receiver, but is he a breakout-type player? Uh, Alan Lazard had some big plays in that win over the Lions. Uh, I think we're going to look at the Packers relying more on their tight ends, uh, Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis. 
There are some uh, receivers available in free agency, but I don't see the Packers making a deal, you know, for a big name, say like a Keenan Allen or Odo Beckham Jr.'s name has been out there. Uh, Stephon Diggs, I think, uh, you know, he, he looks like he's settled back in with the Vikings, isn't demanding a trade. But if there's somebody like uh, uh, Mohamed Sanu uh, from uh, the Atlanta Falcons, Corey Davis uh, from the Tennessee Titans. We see changes going on in Tennessee, as we'll talk about. Maybe Emmanuel Sanders from the Broncos. Uh, somebody who, who isn't necessarily a number one, but could be a playmaker, might be somebody the Packers look at. My idea was bring Jordy Nelson out of retirement. Uh, <laughs> they had so many glory days together with him and uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I guess that's not going to happen. Uh, but, but yeah, seriously, has... Uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers had a, a breakout receiver like that. I mean, Devontae Adams is very good, but uh, he, yeah, Jordy Nelson uh, had some great days in Green Bay and certainly uh, seemed to have a great connection there with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Randall Cobb, but we haven't seen a great Packers receiver since the days of Donald Driver. It's been a hot minute. You're listening to The Wise Guys, presented by MB Haynes Corporation. We're talking with Ian Cassidy, our NFL contributor, and our NFL Gold Nuggets feature is presented by D.C. Creaseman Jewelers. Ian, I'm excited. It's quarterback talk time. We got a lot of stuff. You mentioned it already. The changes in Tennessee. Man, Nationals has not been rocking at the quarterback position, and they've demoted Marcus Mariota out of you know the, the, one of their top picks a couple years ago for Ryan Tannehill, which is really sad when you just make that statement of over and over. The Titans <laughs> did have Tannehill on their roster for a reason. Mariota says it's not the end of his career, but is it? And will he ever get another shot with the Titans? Uh, it's the end of his career in Tennessee, certainly, uh, in Nashville. It's difficult to see how uh, Mariota comes back from this. Uh, as you pointed out, they, they did sign Ryan Tannehill for this very reason. But Mariota, he just, you know, after early promise uh, in his career, really seems to have deteriorated. I don't think uh, the Titans' offensive coaches or the front office, especially in regards to building an offensive line, have done Mariota uh, any favors. But we're still talking about a player who's only 25 years old. I, I don't see how uh, he's not going to get another shot uh, with with an NFL team. But, uh, you know, the numbers uh, don't speak very highly. He's only completing 59% of his passes, Mariota. But he's been sacked 25 times. Oh. Uh, it, it, brutal. I mean, they're not protecting him at all. And, and the Titans have scored seven or fewer points in three of their six games. They were shut out last week against the Broncos. Marcus Mariota is the third highest paid player in the NFL this season, uh, making uh, nearly 20, 21 million this season. He's going to be a free agent. What's going to be an interesting question, where does he land? Because there aren't that many quarterback openings. Uh, you know, there might be one in Tampa Bay, the play picked ahead of Mariota in the 2015 draft. Jameis Winston also looks uh, to be on his way out of, of Tampa Bay, but you know the Denver Broncos maybe. Uh, how many teams really have a, a quarterback opening? Miami might, but you know they're probably going to use uh, the number one pick if they get it uh, on a quarterback. Uh, the Washington Redskins might be looking for a quarterback. There aren't going to be that many openings when uh, Mariota hits the open market. Ian, will Tannehill lead the Titans to some wins or at least to a less anemic offense? I think he will. I'm, I'm not saying that Ryan Tannehill is a better quarterback than Marcus Mariota. Mariota has much more athleticism, much more talent. But Tannehill might be a little bit more of uh, uh, 
uh, maybe you want to call him a game manager or a system quarterback. I don't think he's going to take as many chances. He might be a little bit quicker with his decision-making, not waiting too long uh, for plays to develop. So I could see possibly uh, Tannehill moving uh, the the Titans' offense uh, a little more smoothly or at least, uh, you know, making the play that's there rather than trying to, to go for the big play. This Titans team has some incredible talent at wide receiver. Uh, Corey Davis, as we mentioned, uh, A.J. Brown has had a good season. Uh, uh, Taiwan Taylor, uh, they have a great running back uh, in Derrick Henry. So I think they just need somebody to, to manage uh, the offense rather than trying to make big plays all the time. And as a result, I think Tannehill might have uh, more success. Okay, so let's get your take. I asked Chris Womack the same question. Charlie and I are trying to get everyone's take on this. The quarterback controversy, or almost controversy in Carolina, what's the final result going to be? Is Kyle Allen going to be the surefire starter, or is Cam Newton going to come back and get his job? I guess it's the ideal situation for the Panthers in terms of winning those four games while Cam Newton was out, but uh, not the ideal situation in terms of uh, creating a uh, quarterback controversy. As I was just talking about with uh, Ryan Tannehill uh, and the Titans, I think Kyle Allen manages the offense a little bit more, taking the play that's there rather than trying to go for the big play uh, so often like Cam Newton does. But Allen's numbers aren't that outstanding. Uh, exactly. 65% completion rate, seven touchdowns and zero interceptions, but four fumbles lost, six fumbles total. And four of those seven uh, touchdowns were in his first game uh, against the Arizona Cardinals. Not a stellar defense there. I don't think... You know, you ask uh, 10 people, is Cam Newton a better quarterback than Kyle Allen? I don't know how many of those 10 would, would say Kyle Allen's better, even with a 4-0 record. Uh, I understand the risk uh, Ron Rivera's taking and messing with, with the winning formula here, but uh, I don't think Kyle Allen is playing so well that if Cam Newton is completely healthy, and emphasize that, I think if he is completely healthy, uh, I think he's got to go back in there. So he's got to go back in there. Do you think that Cam will get a will have a very short leash, even if he is fully healthy? Yes, uh, depending on you know if, if uh, there are turnovers and, and he's making uh, bad decisions, or if he looks you know like his his foot or even his shoulder are, are still bothering him. But I, I think you do have to be fair uh, with a quarterback. Yeah, you can't make him feel like one mistake and he's getting pulled out of there. I don't think uh, any quarterback plays well. Uh, under those circumstances. But the the Panthers' uh, next four games, the 49ers after the bye, then the Titans at Green Bay, uh, Atlanta, two of those four games look to be uh, extremely tough. But uh, I think if, if the Panthers are going to win, if they are going to be a playoff contender, and maybe more than that, it's going to be with Cam Newton as their quarterback. Yeah, and, and you know, you're in that tough situation in Carolina. Uh, the final quarterback question, Brock Osweiler, 28 years old, has announced his retirement from the NFL, saying he is grateful for his NFL career and experience. He did win a Super Bowl ring. Ian, how are you going to remember Brock Osweiler? Brock Osweiler is the luckiest SOB that we've ever seen uh, in NFL history. If you are raising uh, your children to play football, make sure they're an NFL quarterback, uh, backup quarterback, who comes in and has a good game or two uh, while the starter is out. I mean, he, he uh, Brock Osweiler, 
parlayed uh, a, a fill-in gig with the with the Broncos into a seventy-two million dollar contract with the Texans. Uh, he is uh, he's right up there, I think, with Scott Mitchell, uh, Matt Flynn, other backup quarterbacks who who came in had one or uh, a handful of good games uh, as a backup. But uh, a, a massive disappointment uh, considering the contract and the expectations. But man, oh man, did he cash in! I don't think he's ashamed of anything no. what a, uh, that he accomplished in the NFL. What a great agent he must have had! Uh, oh man, I mean, <laughs> it's unbelievable. But yet again, you know, you look at the Texans, and man, they burn through quarterbacks. So I mean, I put a little bit of that on him, but the Texans don't make it easy for quarterbacks. But you talk about it, just a lucky. Uh, Lucky man got a Super Bowl ring too, thanks yes, to Peyton Manning. So I mean, you can't, man. And he came in and career. did his part. I mean, he went five and two or whatever he went yeah. in that time when Peyton was out, and then Peyton comes back in. He gets the clipboard back and watches the Super Bowl game from the sideline and takes the check and puts that nice gigantic big ring on his finger and is like, you know what, I'm going to take $77 million before I leave, and then I'm going to leave. Ian, what are your biggest storylines and which matchups are you going to be monitoring as close as you possibly can as we head into the NFL week? We've got Thursday Night Football tonight at 8 p.m. on The Wise Guys, courtesy of our partnership with Westwood One. Chiefs will be without Sammy Watkins for this matchup on the road against the Broncos, who've won two straight while the Chiefs have lost two straight at home. This is a surprisingly important game for the Chiefs. As you pointed out, they've lost two in a row. Their defensive shortcomings are really being exposed. I think uh, this is a situation where, uh, you know, Andy Reid loves to throw the ball. He's not running the ball as well as he should. That defense is out on the field uh, for a long time, and uh, they're getting worn down. I think the Colts especially really expose that Chiefs defense, that if you keep them on the field and and, uh, keep Patrick Mahomes off the field, that is a winning formula against the Chiefs. I also look at Patrick Mahomes. Apparently, he's got a pretty bad ankle injury. It's prevented him from uh, running the ball uh, as well as he might. That, that was a key in the Chiefs' win uh, over Detroit uh, three weeks ago. Uh, he can still throw, but I think uh, that ankle injury might be affecting Patrick Mahomes more uh, than we realize. So if the Broncos are, are running the ball, keeping that KC defense on the field, they may have a chance in this game, but uh, I think uh, maybe it's a little strong to call this a must-win for the Chiefs, but uh, I would look for the Chiefs to win this game. Well, three losses in a row, I feel like you got to strike the panic button at some point. Absolutely. I mean, uh, again, I'm surprised that the Chiefs uh, didn't make a bigger push for Jalen Ramsey. Maybe they did, and the Rams' offer was just uh, that much better. But, uh, yeah, there's uh, some some serious defensive problems there in Kansas City. Oh, without a doubt. Ian, you are the best man. That's Ian Casper, NFL football guy. He's also our baseball guy and a movie guy from time to time for us, as well as the do-it-all utility player. Ian, thank you so much, my man, for joining Charlie and I on The Wise Guys this afternoon. Thanks so much. A lot of fun talking uh, with you, Jordan, and Charlie uh, the past couple of days. It's been great. Well, listen, man, well, we look forward to it each and every day, so we thank you so much. You're always great, Ian. You bring it every time. Yeah, I appreciate that, Charlie. Thank you. Ian, Have a great weekend, you guys. You too, man. Thank you. That's Ian Castleberry, our NFL contributor. Wow, that Thursday night game turned out to be a dud. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes suffered a knee injury in the second quarter and left the game taking away the best reason to watch that game. The Broncos' offense was awful, even more so as they fell behind. But without Mahomes, the whole thing felt like a slog. What a disappointment for the NFL with one of its brightest stars knocked out for at least a few weeks. Did you end up switching to Astros-Yankees or getting away from sports once that happened? 
Let's do that now and talk about Gemini Man. Wow, I was wrong about how last weekend's box office totals would turn out. I guess I underestimated how many people would still be interested in seeing Joker, and I overestimated how much of a draw Will Smith is these days. He's still a movie star, but do people go see a movie just because Will Smith is headlining? It's starting to look like no. Although Gemini Man probably wouldn't have even finished third last week without him. It was still a distant third, earning $20 million. Joker grossed $55 million, and The Addams Family got $30 million. When I saw him, it was like I was seeing a ghost. 25 years ago, he took my blood. He made you from me. He's been lying to you the whole time. He told you you were an orphan. And of all the people in the world to come after me, why would he send you? Because I'm the best. You are obviously not the best. Did audiences mistakenly avoid a good movie? Well, not really, no. Though he certainly doesn't look like it, Will Smith might be getting too old for this action hero shit. Though we're not saying that about Tom Cruise or Liam Neeson, are we? That's why Gemini Man seemed like an ideal story for him. Smith is acknowledging his age here. He's feeling too old to play sniper for the government. Or the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency. Not the Detroit Institute of Arts. Although that's a role Smith could take now that he's getting older. Director or curator of a metropolitan art museum. So with Smith's character, Henry Brogan, wanting to retire, the DIA wants to replace him with a younger model. And they have a special black ops unit, codenamed Gemini, that has just the thing. A clone of Brogan, nearly 30 years younger. All of his skills, with a fresh body and less of a conscience. Brogan's former mentor, Clay Varys, played by Clive Owen, devised the idea of creating the perfect soldier, and perhaps an army of clone perfect soldiers, after an operation in the Middle East went bad. I'm your brother, Julius. Huh? Come again? My name is Julius, and I'm your twin brother. Oh, obviously. The moment I sat down, I thought I was looking into a mirror. Oops, wrong movie there. Sorry about that. I think I know why he's as good as you. He is you. There we go. So once Brogan decides to retire, the DIA decides that he needs to be excommunicated. Why? No one ever says. Maybe they don't want any loose ends. They want to clean up any possible mess. Maybe Henry knows too much. Or maybe the higher-ups are just pissed that their best operative wants to retire, especially when it appears that he can still do the job just fine, despite his advancing age. You know, the usual reasons. Whatever the justification, it gives Varys an excuse to show off his new toy and send younger Henry, named Junior, if you didn't get the point, to take out the OG Henry. The concept for Gemini Man was written more than 20 years ago, which probably shouldn't be a surprise because the premise seems like something we would have seen in the 90s, like Face Off. Had this been made 20 years ago, maybe John Woo would have made it, and there would have been doves. So many doves. Tony Scott was the original director on this project, which sounds about right, but the technology wasn't capable of creating a younger version of the lead character on screen, so the movie kept stalling until now. The argument could be made that the technology still isn't quite there, 
Director Ang Lee and the special effects wizards at Weta Digital do an impressive job of creating a young Will Smith. Junior looks like the Six Degrees of Separation era Will Smith. But like any digital creation set with real actors on screen, Junior looks just a bit off at times. He doesn't look entirely real. Yes, he looks damn close. When everything comes together digitally, it really does look amazing. Young Will looks just like any other actor on the screen. But when it doesn't entirely click, it's just enough to be distracting. I hate saying that because this is such a technological achievement. It feels like I'm nitpicking. But hey, Gemini Man is asking viewers to believe that Will Smith is facing his younger self on screen, so it needs to look believable. For the most part, it does. This is certainly far better than the digital de-aged Jeff Bridges we saw in Tron Legacy, and that movie was released nearly 10 years ago. And Marvel has done great work in recent films with de-aging Robert Downey Jr., Michael Douglas, and Samuel L. Jackson on screen. But Downey and Douglas's younger selves didn't have to be on screen as much, so the burden on the digital effects team wasn't as heavy. And Jackson is practically a living special effect himself who seemingly doesn't age, so making him look younger might have been a bit easier in Captain Marvel. The real problem is when the camera is close up on Digital Will Smith, or when he's in a dramatic scene with a lot of talking. He has a couple of those, notably one in which he confronts Varys, essentially his father, who's raised him like a son, about what he really is. Again, it looks good and is truly impressive, but it's just off enough to be distracting. Or maybe it was just my brain telling me, you know, that's not a 23-year-old Will Smith, right? That's impossible. And I couldn't turn that off and completely lose myself in the movie. I realize Gemini Man has to sell itself on the gimmick of seeing young Will Smith. It's really the only reason to see this movie. We don't live in a culture where the biggest surprises are typically saved for the movie rather than revealed in the trailers. But I wonder if I would have felt differently about the digital Will Smith gimmick if I didn't see it until watching the movie. Then it might have seemed more impressive because it was unexpected. Who is this guy trying to kill Will Smith who's just as good as he is? Oh my god, it's Will Smith himself! Imagine that revelation. Alas. When the camera isn't close up on Junior, however, he blends right in, and you could believe that a young Will Smith is in the scene. That even includes a fight sequence between old and young Henry, though you can't help but wonder if the camera work and choreography was affected at all by having to put young Will Smith's head on another actor or stuntman. I'd be curious how another director more familiar with action, like a David Leach or Chad Stahelski, or maybe someone like Christopher McQuarrie, might have done with those scenes. Although, the scene where Junior does a front wheelie on a motorcycle, turns, and hits Brogan with the back wheel is pretty damn cool. The technology we're inventing is something Ang has been wanting to do for a long time. He's making a leap forward that no other director has even tried to do. When you see the two Will Smith, well, that's something we never experienced before. This technology is going to change how movies are made and how movies are seen. Ang Lee is an extremely talented filmmaker, so he can do a motorcycle chase or fight scene, but those sequences don't quite seem as spectacular as they could be. I've often felt that Lee becomes a little too enamored with the filmmaking and technology involved with a film, rather than telling a story. Like his comic book type panels in Hulk, 
Those are fantastic exercises in editing and pacing, but did they really add anything to the movie? Or was that just Lee's way of saying, hey, this is based on a comic book? Does his current obsession with shooting movies at 120 frames per second add anything? Especially when I don't live near a theater that can show a film at 120 frames per second? I didn't see Billy Lynn's long halftime walk and really should make an effort to do so. But was it really necessary to bring that kind of filmmaking innovation to that particular story? Maybe the best example of Ang Lee filmmaking is The Tiger in Life of Pi. That was truly impressive digital work which allowed him to tell the story he wanted. Lee deserves credit for trying to expand the boundaries and possibilities of movie making, and it's impressive that he challenges himself as a director. But I'd argue that his best movies are the smaller character dramas like Brokeback Mountain and The Ice Storm. Gemini Man might have benefited more from that director rather than the technician playing with his newest toy. Henry Brogan is presumably a man haunted by 30 years of killing, but we only know that because dialogue tells us. Will Smith doesn't come across as particularly haunted by his conscience or burned out from carrying out lethal orders for his country, and the script doesn't really delve into those psychological details. Sure, this is an action movie concerned with going from one big set piece to the next, but Lee bogged down Hulk with trying to explore Bruce Banner's psychology, his inner battle with rage and the post-traumatic stress from his father killing his mother. It might have been compelling to see him go there with Gemini Man. Clive Owen has a couple of lines about how this Gemini initiative could prevent the loss of so many soldiers and the PTSD they suffer from once they return from missions. But we're just not going to get much more with a Will Smith action movie. I get that. Gemini Man gets 3 out of 5 stars from me. It's worth checking out if you want an action movie, but it's not the spectacle that it should have been. I'll be very interested to watch those Blu-ray extras showing how Digital Junior was created and inserted into scenes, but it's ultimately a gimmick. More concerned with special effects achievements than telling a good story. Okay, jumping back to sports, here's my Wednesday baseball radio segment. With Jordan in the studio, I think we dug a little deeper into baseball than we might have normally, since he's a big Los Angeles Dodgers fan. We marveled at the Washington Nationals' miraculous, suddenly dominant run to the World Series. We also covered Joe Madden becoming the new Los Angeles Angels manager, the continuing investigation into Tyler Skaggs' drug-related death, and the Yankees-Astros ALCS. Since we recorded, the Astros have taken control of that series with a three games to one lead, but we discussed why Wednesday night's postponement for rain might give Houston an advantage. Were we right? Uh, well, are you, how do you say we uh, bring on Ian Castleberry, presented by Vistanet? Sounds good. We got a ton to get to. Ian, I always feel doing? smarter after I talk to Ian. Me too. I always feel better. He's got so that. much info. I mean, Charlie's buttering you up, Ian. You're going to have a lot to live up to. I was going to say, you know, I just got a haircut so I could look pretty for you guys. And, uh, <laughs> somebody told me it's radio, so, well, everybody's lost, I guess. I mean, you got. I mean, listen, I was never going to say you got a face for radio. You got a face for TV, sir. That's what I'm saying. I grew a beard because of the fact that, you know, I look like I'm 10 without it. And, you know, being in sales and on the radio, you've got to cover up that face sometimes, man. It's a, it's a curse sometimes you just have to live with, you know? Uh, yeah, I try. You know, it make me look a little bit older. I always say that's why I, I stay a little bit pudgy. So, you know, I, I look younger, but, uh, yeah, the beard might, might be ruining that. 
Well, Ian is our baseball and football guy. Today he's all baseball, and it's presented by Vistanet Telecommunications. Ian, can you believe it, man? The Nationals, who didn't have Bryce Harper, who started 19-31, and 31, who were going to fire manager Dave Martinez and trade Max Scherzer before the deadline, are now going to the World Series and are winners of the NL pennant, sweeping the Cardinals dominantly in four games, basically unprecedented. How do you feel about this showing? How impressed are you? I'm extremely impressed. I mean, I, I thought they would beat the Cardinals, but I did not think they would sweep them. Their starting pitching uh, has been uh, incredibly impressive, really getting timely hitting. Uh, Howie Kendrick uh, seems to have revitalized his career. Well, I think what impresses me the most about the Nationals is they, they're kind of going against what the model has been for a successful postseason team in recent years. Like, uh, you know, in recent years, you, know, you want your starting pitcher to go maybe four or five innings. You know, we saw last year starting pitchers were only going two or three innings and turning it over to multiple pitchers in the bullpen. The Nationals, they don't really have a reliable bullpen, so Davey Martinez is hoping he gets six, seven innings out of his starting pitchers. And then, uh, you know, he, the, the Nationals, they, they broke out to a 7 nothing lead last night, so that gave uh, Martinez the opportunity to just give uh, uh, Patrick Corbin only have to pitch him five innings and they could bring in some guys like Tanner Rainey, I think, you know, he would never see the mound uh, if it wasn't a huge lead. We saw Fernando Rodney uh, in game three. Uh, I, I think ultimately uh, Martinez really only trusts Sean Doolittle and Daniel Hudson in that bullpen. But uh, the, the question now becomes, you know, will they have too much time off uh, before the World Series begins? Yeah, Ian, do you give them a real shot against either one of the juggernauts coming out of the American League? I, you know, I want to say no, but I didn't think they would beat the Dodgers. No, I thought they had a good I. shot. Neither <laughs> did I. I thought they. I thought they'd have a chance against the Cardinals, uh, but you know they they beat up Jack Flaherty was arguably the best pitcher in the National League the second half of the season, and the Nationals beat him up. But with their starting pitching, I think they have a shot against either the Astros or the Yankees, uh, especially with this one-week break. You know, they can line up their rotation however they want, whoever they want to start in Game 1, whether it's Steven Strasburg uh, or Max Scherzer, and then come in uh, with uh, Patrick Corbin. Uh, those guys will be available uh, in relief uh, on their off days. And that batting order right now, one through six, one through seven, is extremely tough. They don't necessarily make the opposing pitcher work, and, you know, and take a lot of pitches. They just wait for their pitch, and they don't miss it when they get it. They, they do make a lot of contact, and just I want to throw this historical fact out there. Being a history nerd, it's the first time since 1933 when the Washington Senators played the New York Giants before they went to San Francisco at Griffith Stadium. The World Series will be played for the first time since 33 in the nation's capital. Nationals, who were the Expos in '69, moved to DC in '05, are the 29th franchise to reach the World Series. And uh, Ian, do you know the uh, one franchise that has never made it to a World Series? Uh Boy, I'd have to I'd have to think about it. Um, one of the Tampa Bay Rays is that the? No, it's actually the. That's a great choice. That's a, the Devil Rays never made it. It was the Rays who made it. So I guess you're not wrong really there. But the oh, Seattle right, Mariners, right. the Seattle Mariners never have Seattle. made it so far. And now they're even behind the National slash Expos, depending on who you ask. So oh, uh, that that hurts. Doesn't that, that hurt? Mariners it, it's tough, and they had they had one of the best regular seasons of all time several years ago when A Rod before the steroids. You know, they were they were uh, they were pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, the Lou Pinella, uh managed teams. Uh, oh man, and and they don't 
seem like they're uh, in any position to, to get back there anytime soon, unfortunately. Well, you know, we said that, well, I thought the same thing about the Nationals. I, I Just to touch on it briefly, do you think that bullpen in this extra time off, will that help remedy the fact that they have no one in the bullpen they can truly rely on outside of their top two guys? I think so. and Everyone will be well-rested. Uh, maybe... Uh, you know, they, they can take that time to uh, establish uh, some solid roles. But, I mean, unless anything changes, I mean, what's what's been uh, what they've been doing is working. You know, six or seven innings out of uh, the starter and then turn it over uh, to Doolittle, uh, who can maybe pitch, uh, you know, get five outs. And then uh, Hudson, Daniel Hudson, that was a great acquisition uh, by the Nationals at the trade deadline. Uh, he's been outstanding as their closer. Hey, Ian, Howie Kendrick, he's the NLCS MVP, went five for 15 with four doubles and four RBIs. He's had a huge part in the Game 3 win uh, as well, and and he's only 36. Uh, he hit 344 this season in 121 games. Will his heroics continue, or will another player need to step up for the Nationals? I think he's locked in. I think his his heroics will continue. I mean, he's really he doesn't miss the fastball. And I, you know, the fastballs that come from say Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander are, are a, a little bit <laughs> different, a, a little more powerful than he might get from other pitchers. So maybe uh, a matchup against the Yankees favors uh, Howie Kendrick. But even though Howie Kendrick has been uh, a hero for the Nationals in the postseason, uh, I would argue one reason they've been so successful is they're not waiting for someone to be the hero. I think maybe in previous years, they were kind of waiting for Bryce Harper to come up with the big home run, the big moment, and now it could be anybody in that batting order, whether it's Howard Kedrick or Ryan Zimmerman seems revitalized. Trey Turner has had some big hits, so I think it's one of these teams where anybody can be the star on a given night. Uh, this is The Wise Guys, presented by M.B. Haynes Corporation. We are sitting alongside Ian Cassberry, our baseball guy. who's a great podcaster and an excellent writer, courtesy of Vistanet Telecommunications. Ian, before we move on to talk about the Angels a little bit, do you think that this the, the lack of Rice Harper really does invigorate the rest of this team? Howie Kendrick's a bench guy. you know, He comes in kind of like a sixth man uh, on the basketball court, for example. But he's played really well. Former Dodger, former Angel. He's been all over the place. Do guys like this just find a better role when there's not that big star that you feel like can always bail you out? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, it gives an opportunity for players like Howard Kendrick uh, to step up and, 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 and you know seize the moment uh, when it's there. Uh, these guys, they're not miss- missing their pitches right now. And I think... Uh, Bryce Harper, you know, maybe he gets a bad rap, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that clubhouse is a little more cohesive now. You know, there's not any one guy who gets all the attention uh, or, or you know, uh, doing some antics on the field uh, that that cause uh, distractions uh, when when the media is asking questions about it. Uh, again, their batting order I think is just so strong. Top to bottom, I mean, really, the only pitcher I think who's handled this Nationals lineup in the postseason was Walker Buehler uh, of the Dodgers. Everybody else, uh, they've pretty much crushed. Yeah, I I remember that. I felt really good after that game. And, well, <laughs> about the seventh inning, you know, Kershaw comes in, two outs, boom. All right, Roberts, you don't need to put him back out there. What does he do? Puts him right back out there. Puts I'm like, him back out there. Canley Jansen's right there. He could give you, you know, six outs maybe, maybe five. No. No, just didn't. That's all right. I, you know, 
Do you think? I, I know this. I, this wasn't on our prep sheet, but I got to ask: Do you think Dave Roberts keeps his job by the start of next season? It sounds like he's going to. I mean, I think that question is worth asking. But when you look at his regular season record and even his postseason record, uh, I mean, he makes some questionable decisions uh, in the big moments in the big games during the postseason. But I think over, you look at his overall record, and it just makes it tough uh, to replace him. But um, you know, maybe if if they have one more season like this one. You know, great regular season, and then a stumble in the postseason again. Maybe, uh, maybe they do make a change. But uh, there's certainly going to be some great managers out there. But I, I think uh, overall, you look at Dave Roberts' resume, and, and it's uh, tough to replace. Although I'm sure the Padres would love to get a chance at Dave Roberts if the Dodgers were to let him go. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they would. I, I love Dave Roberts. I loved him as a player. Enjoy him as a manager. But sometimes, I'm, it's unless the GM's telling him what to do, I really sometimes just question some of those decisions. But I digress. Stepping off the soapbox, let's move on to a unfortunately much more somber story. As Tyler Skaggs, the saga continues. Ian, there are a lot of moving parts with this story and all of the tentacles and the way it's moving throughout the Angels organization. Angels communications director Eric Kay, who's still currently on unpaid leave, unpaid leave, is apparently has told DEA agents that two other employees were informed of Skaggs' drug use, including Kay's direct supervisor. Ian, what does this mean for the Angels and this investigation? And how will Bob, you know, Manford and the and Major League Baseball have to respond to this? There, they, there has to be a big punishment should more things come to light that the Angels knew about this. Yeah, to, to tackle that uh, last point first, I think uh, Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred uh, is going to come down pretty hard uh, on the Angels. There have been reports uh, that uh, Major League Baseball could find the team up to $2 million uh, for, for violating uh, policy and not reporting opioid use. Uh, Major League Baseball policy says uh, if they're aware of a team employee or a player involved in, in opioid use, drug use, uh, that's supposed to be reported. And the Angels uh, kept this under wraps, uh, not just with Tyler Skaggs, but uh, again, the situation uh, with Eric Kay. Uh, also uh, involved uh, in opioid use. And any of these these three employees, Eric Kay and the other two that you mentioned, if they're found to have been concealing uh, Tyler Skaggs' drug use or, you know, there, there are reports, uh, rumblings that uh, other Angels players uh, were involved uh, with opioids as well, those employees could be banned from Major League Baseball uh, getting a job anywhere uh, in the sport. And, you you know, you mentioned all the controversy surrounding the Angels. One of the big names out there, managerial-wise, Joe Madden, looked past all of that and signed a three-year deal with the Angels officially today. 31 years in the organization, he's going to make it, it looks like, 34 total. It's a great hire, but he's kind of inheriting a mess if you take away Mike Trout. Yeah, it's um, you. You could make the argument certainly that Joe Madden uh, had other uh, or better jobs available. I mean, personally, if I were him, I would have taken the San Diego Padres job. You know, they're young, they're talented, uh, they seem ready to take that next step. Uh, what about the Phillies? You know, they're a contender. What about the Mets? But uh, I think this is sort of a, a return home uh, for Madden, as you mentioned, 31 years in the organization. This is uh, almost certainly going to be Madden's last job 
as a manager in baseball. So maybe he just wanted to kind of take a victory lap uh, with the organization. I mean, he was drafted uh, by the Angels as a catcher. He was uh, a minor league a hitting coordinator, uh, Mike Sosha's bench coach for years. So maybe this just seems like uh, you know a full circle, perfect ending for Joe Madden. And this might put some pressure on Artie Moreno uh, and Billy Epler, the general manager, to build a better team uh, around Mike Trout for Joe Madden. Uh, this was mentioned, I believe, on the uh, uh, Fox Sports 1 telecast last night, and there have been rumblings throughout baseball that uh, Garrett Cole, who's set to become a free agent, Southern California native, might be a top target of the Angels in free Ooh. agency. So that would be a good start. Well, especially because Joe Madden's 65. He's got, as you say, this is probably his last contract. He's got to win now. But we're going to shift gears and get back to what's being played this season, Coach. Yeah, in Game 3 of the ALCS, uh, it went to the Astros. Uh, two to, they take a 2-1 to one lead in the series uh, here over the Yankees. In with the series shaping up uh, the way it is, uh, and it might go on quite a while, uh, do you think the winner of this series is at a major disadvantage since the Nationals are, are done and resting up? I think it depends on how those pitching staffs uh, for each team are extended. Uh, I I wonder if the break uh, will actually hurt the Nationals. I mean, we've seen in previous seasons, uh, you know, uh, with the Rockies, uh, with the Detroit Tigers, uh, having that week off actually uh, made them kind of rusty and got them out of their routine. This Nationals team, I mean, they've been grinding since May, just just about every day, and, and in the postseason, having to play the wild card playoff, they've been at it every day, and you wonder if that one week break could kind of knock them uh, off uh, off their momentum a little bit. Even though it, you know, I'm sure they could use the rest, uh, especially uh, with their pitching staff. But uh, uh, with game four tonight's game four being postponed uh, until tomorrow, I think that actually helps uh, both teams because what we would have seen uh, had the game been played uh, tonight. Uh, both teams were going to go mostly with bullpen, uh, short, short starts maybe for, for Jay Happ for the Yankees. Uh, Jose, uh, or Queedy was, was, uh, reported to go for the Astros maybe, uh, two, three innings and then turn it over to the bullpen for the rest. Now the Astros can start, uh, Zach Granke on full rest. They can come back with Justin Verlander, uh, in game five. Uh, I think that arguably gives them an advantage, especially in game five. Uh, the Yankees are able to, uh, start Masahiro Tanaka. Uh, in game four on full rest, uh, which helps them. But uh, I like the way that the rotation shapes up for the Astros uh, in the rest of the series if uh, Zach Greinke pitches well in game four. And so can I pencil you down for the Astros are going to take this series? I think so. Uh, I mean, certainly uh, the, the the Yankees are formidable uh, with their bullpen, and that lineup can can uh, mess up any starting pitcher. But I just uh, with uh, Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander, uh, I feel like the, the Astros have an advantage in this series. Yeah. All right, and I'm going to get you. We're going to get you out of here on this final question. Gonna, it's a little bit of an early prediction, but if you could pick right now, Nationals Astros, who are you picking to win it all? Oh man, this is tough because this is like a classic head heart thing. Like the head says the Astros are the best team in baseball. Right. Top to bottom. But how can you, how can you go against the Nationals right now and the way they're playing with their starting rotation, a lineup that just seems to come up with big hits up and down the lineup? But I really am worried about that one week break kind of knocking the Nationals off their momentum a little bit. So yeah, if it is an Astros Nationals World Series, I think I would opt for the, for the Astros. How many games? I'm putting you to the test here. 
Ooh, uh, how about six games? I feel okay. like I always pick six games for any uh, do. series, but uh. <laughs> I've heard several, and you you pick six. six is a good number, though. You're like you're not committing that it's going to go all the way to game seven, which you know you never know what's going to happen. Game six, you just feel like you're giving yourself a really good shot to get to game six. How much fun would a seven-game series between those two teams? I mean, with the all hands on deck, I mean, who would come out of the bullpen in that game, depending on who's starting? Uh, that would just be spectacular. It would be absolutely fantastic. I, I'm looking forward to it, even though it's not the, the the Dodgers. I got some friends going to Game Four in DC, so they're pretty they're pretty excited. They're they they joined the Nationals bandwagon about four or five years ago. But you know what? You know what? They, they, they were nineteen and thirty one, and we still went to a game when I was there. So they didn't jump off the bandwagon, but they're very excited right now. Let's just put it that way. It's hard to believe seventy four and thirty there. the rest of the way. That's yeah, uh, impressive, no doubt about it. Ian, thank you so much, my man, and we will have you back on tomorrow to talk some more. Outstanding. Thank you so much, Jordan. Great talking to you, Charlie. Good talk with you, Ian. Ian, you take care, buddy. I love that Jordan called me out for always picking best of seven series to go six games. Hey, man, I know it, as I admitted on the air. Every time I'm asked to predict a playoff series, six games always feels logical when teams look evenly matched. Or maybe it feels safe, as Jordan pointed out. And that's the podcast. We're also on Instagram at the podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-S, or you can reach out to me personally on Twitter at Ian Cass. You can also find my current work at iancastleberry.com, that's C-A-S-S-E-L-B-E-R-R-Y. Any feedback, good or bad, is very much appreciated. Let us know what you like or don't like. Or just say hello and let us know that someone's receiving this signal. The red light tells me this thing is on. Next week, we'll cover Zombieland 2 Double Tap, which I'll also be reviewing in print for Asheville's Mountain Express. And I'm pretty sure we'll also talk about the premiere of HBO's Watchmen. If I really knew what I was doing with this podcast thing, maybe I'd create a Watchmen recap show. Tony just begun. Warning. We might be talking about that series quite a bit, if it's worth talking about, along with the other fall TV I'm still trying to catch up on. I sense a TV topic lightning round when we have more time to play with on a future podcast. Until then, maybe pick up a pumpkin or two this weekend. They're everywhere. Do you still carve them? I'm sure you do if you have kids. I'd love to do that with my nieces. Again! Again! Okay. But that's something they do with their parents. And I doubt we get trick-or-treaters here in the new neighborhood I moved to, so there doesn't seem like much point. Maybe I'll get a gourd or two for the dining room table, preferably one spotted with bumps that looks like a freak mutation or discarded alien experiment. October! October!